How was the word of God heard by the people when it was first spoken? The time, the place, the political landscape, the struggles. And how does the word of God apply to this time, this place, this political landscape, our struggles? This is Michael Leasley in Context. Understand God's word and apply it to your life. In Context. You're listening to Michael Easley in Context. I'm your co-host, Hannah Seymour, and we have got another Ask Dr. E episode for you today. So, Dr. E, let's jump right in. Let's do it. This comes from our friend. She asks, how do you reconcile judging right from wrong without being judgmental? How do you speak the truth in love without condoning what is so biblically wrong? She goes on to say, I feel like a bad witness for Christ because I am looked down upon by those in and outside the church. If my position is judged the moment someone meets me, how am I going to be that example for who I truly am in Christ and in Him alone? Why does my flesh need approval and acceptance by others in the church? A lot going on in this question. A couple of uh, things that are a bit unknown for me to tease out. So without being too specific, I I came up with a series of observations Okay, so we'll, we'll approach it this way. Maybe yeah. this will help. Number one, when you deal with unbelievers, just you have to be careful and loving and patient, even when it doesn't make any sense. The hardest thing, especially if, let's say, we've been Christians a while, is uh, we know the arguments, we know the answers, but, you know, I can honestly say in all the years that I've tried to share Christ with people, I've never argued anyone to salvation. Yeah. And subset of that would be arguing is not going to win them over to, let's say, not just my position, but the Bible's position on things. So they have to want to learn, and I can't control anybody else's response to things. So trying to read this question carefully and not too much between the lines, but I think, number one, you just have to be loving, patient, and caring, and not worry about the outcome because you can't control it. Yeah. And correct me if you think I'm wrong, but my approach with non-believers is always like, There's no reason for me to even have a conversation about moral code with you. Like, we can talk about how we're all sinners, but I don't need to be trying to help you change sin and modify behavior until you know Christ. And so it's, you know, completely shifting. Like, it doesn't matter if you're sleeping with your boyfriend, if you're in a gay lifestyle, if you're doing X, Y, Z. If you don't know Christ, none of that stuff's going to change anyway. And it's not my job to convict them of that. It's the Holy Spirit's, and they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. Right. And we have to know how to speak truth and the gospel and even address sin. But if this scenario, it sounds like they're in a bit of a conflict, so it's not going to sure. go well. Yeah. But your your observation uh, segues nicely to my second point here is understand judgment, like any number of terms, has been changed and really vilified in our culture. Mm. You're judging me. I mean, how often have we heard that? So let me take a step back. Every time when I was a parent with young children, I corrected my children. I was judging them. Okay, yeah. When I explain right from wrong, I'm judging. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to use judgment the way our current culture uses it, you have to develop some courage and use it kindly. I just read Abolition of Man by C.S. Lewis. It's a short read. It's only about 45 pages long. That doesn't mean it's easy, but it's uh, it's a short read. And he calls the moral code or the moral law the Tao. Mm-hmm. It's spelled T-A-O mm-hmm. or Tao, the yeah. Tao or Tao. And he, he reviews a bunch of cultures in the end of the book that have a Tao. 
And the easiest one I can uh, remember and illustrate is if you're in line and someone cuts in line, okay. it just makes you angry. Yeah. I was sitting on the highway the other day, inching my way over to get on the freeway, and some person comes barreling around me and cuts right back. And I was so kind and Christian and said, come on over. Well, Never mind. I, All of us have been waiting wow, for 25 you must minutes. Be in a, you must have yeah. some really important be place more to important be. more important than me. You, yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. No, that's not what I thought at all. <laughs> I had other things I won't repeat. So how do I respond when that happens? Well, that proves there is, in fact, a moral code. That proves there is, in fact, he calls it a Tao. It's kind of a strange term by today. But people understand right from wrong. The question is, how do you get there? I used to use the illustration. If I'm driving with my seatbelt on, my children in car seats, I'm, a, I'm obeying the speed limit, and a DUI comes across a barricade, hits my car, kills my wife and children, I was doing nothing wrong. The other person was, and I paid the price and a penalty for that person. So... We have to be just common sense. There is right from wrong, and there is a way to discuss it. Now, you may be called judgmental. I may be called judgmental. But that goes back to my first point about being kind and loving and careful. Third, speaking the truth in love is overlooked by too many Christians. That doesn't mean I'm the Holy Spirit in anyone's life. But if I have a friendship with somebody and vice versa, if he's got a friendship with me and he doesn't come to me and speak the truth in love, then that's bad on both of us. I mean, how many times have I told this story about my friend Dave Gibson, who says, Michael, I don't know if you need a dope slap mm -hmm. or encouragement. Mm -hmm. And sometimes your mom says things to me that are not kind, but they're <laughs> truthful, and I need to hear them. Sorry, you and Tyler can have a well, I can't, support group for I each other. I can't say it the other way because, <laughs> you know, if I say it to her, that's all I'm blogging. I think it says... Husbands don't ever say anything bad about your wife. For anyway, sure. Yeah, for sure. Some variant. But anyway, my point simply being, are you doing it in love? Fourth, and I've kind of intimated being mad or angry doesn't help anything. Yeah. You're not going to argue them. Uh, uh, yeah, you can say, well, Jesus had a righteous anger when he overturned the tables. Two questions. Are you Jesus? Secondly, are you overturning tables? Probably not. So be careful when you elevate your anger or righteous position and do something rash and say something rash. Five, everybody likes approval. I appreciate your honesty in the question. On the one hand, I need encouragement. Uh, on the other hand, it ain't about me. It ain't about me. And uh, there's a very small group of people now at this chapter of my life who I pay any attention to their approval because I've lived long enough to know I can't please everybody. I've, I've lived long enough to be unjustly things said about me that were wrong, rumors spread that were just lies. I can't do anything about that. I think part of getting older, one of the cool parts is you just don't care. Yeah. You just don't care. But I need that group who will speak the truth to me. I can't just abandon myself to my own ways. But you have to guard. This life isn't about just you, just me. Uh, and then last... The only person I can change is me. Yep. Uh, my goal is to be Christ-like and how I treat other people like Christ. I often ask myself, am I any more like Jesus than I was a year ago? I ask that question from the pulpit many times. Uh, and if you're not, there's a problem. We're not growing. So to the back up, and again, I, don't, I hope I haven't overread the question, but I just think you know, when this person made the comment, my position as judge at the moment I meet somebody— how am I going to be an example? That's just that's too much extrapolation. Don't worry about that. Just yeah. stop. God's yeah. going to use you. He wants yeah. to use yeah. you. 
and, and walk away. There's nothing wrong about walking away, especially if it's a person that you're not, you know, your husband, your wife, your children. It's just a relational context. You know, I, I don't need to have this argument or conversation right now because it's probably not going to go anywhere good. Yeah. Gary Thomas, we had him on the show, I don't know, a while ago, wrote a book called When to Walk Away, looking at how Christ walks away from people who certainly were judging him, were being very argumentative with the way he was living, teaching, all those things, because it didn't align with the Pharisaical, hello, the Pharisaical law. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Next question. This is from Thelma. She says, it said in Genesis, Cain took a wife from the land of Nod. How did the people in Nod come into existence when God only created Adam and Eve, who bore Cain and Abel at that time? Did they all come from Adam and Eve since they were the first creation? Please shed some light. Yes, Thelma, for all of us, please shed some light. I love this question, Thelma. I love it. I love it. Love it. Yes, the short answer is they came from Adam and Eve. Let's talk a little bit more about what's happening. In Genesis 4, verses 14 through 16, we read, and this is after Cain has killed his brother Abel. This is Cain speaking. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground. And boy, that's a word play there because ground all through this early part of Genesis is the word Adam, Adam. Yeah. So Adam is made from the ground, Adam. You driven me from the face of the ground from my very beginning. From your face, I will be hidden. I will be a vagrant and a wanderer. Circle that word wanderer in your Bible. A wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain. Nobody knows what that is. So that no one finding him would slay him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. The word wanderer is the same word in Hebrew for the word nuad. What he's saying is, I'm going to be a vagrant and a wanderer. And there's a word play. And he settled in the land of wandering, east of Eden. So that's the fun part for me. So... Genesis, we take it literally, Adam and Eve, their parents, they have Abel, they have Cain. Cain, of course, kills Abel. They have Seth. But you got to go to Genesis chapter 5 and read Genesis 5. It'll blow your mind, all the different descendants that were born to Adam and Eve. Yeah. So in God's original plan, yes, that's where population came from. Now, later on, when the tribes are established, they're not to intermarry and so forth and so on. But when God's creation began... That was the plan he had. Now, the other thing that struck me, reading Genesis 5, the first several verses, it's 900 plus years of humanity. So from Adam to Noah, who, by the way, are contemporaries. Think about that. Adam was still walking around when Noah was told to build the ark. I I genuinely did not know that. It's mind-blowing. So that's how many people were born. Now, put that in context. America this year will be 245 years old. (laughs) There are 332,365,000 people just in this country in 245 years. That's insane. Now, they all weren't born here, right? We're immigrants who came here. My point is, that's how many people showed up. Have populated in in 200 years and change. So don't think of, you know, we, we read about three or four characters, Abel, Cain, and Seth. We don't realize there's progeny. We, we probably have very few miscarriages, and people right. probably had a lot more children and big families. And probably and, like twins and triplets, I well, bet. I when don't you know. read the tribes, these clans are huge. Yeah. 
So not even triplets, but the clans were huge. God, those poor so, women. So, well, at a different time, different day. They didn't have smoothies either. So, you know, they had, they had to cook every day and kill and the eat. Collagen. They, they, yeah, no collagen, no, no vitamins, no, yeah, they had dates. Anyway, so that's, the, that's that. But I, I, what was cool about that question to me, I had not seen that about the land of Nod. The hmm. Nod is a wordplay on Wanderer. So Nod is not a real place. It's just east of Eden, meaning out hmm. of Eden. So he got his wife from the long uh, descendants of Adam and Eve. There you have it. There you have it. No extra charge. All right. Great question. Our final question for this episode. So Melanie sent us a link, and the title is Homosexual Has Always Been in the Bible. And so I'm going to let you kind of summarize that. Has. Has homosexuality always been in the Bible? Forgive me. No, very important distinction. Very important distinction. And she said, I had a friend send me this. I'm very interested in Dr. Easley's thoughts as I'm raising my girls, and I want to educate them appropriately on this topic. So give us a digest of that article, and then obviously we want to know your thoughts. Well, well, the, the short version of the article is it's written by a very liberal person that act, has a pro-LGBTQ agenda. So you have to start there. Right. And when you look at these, they often talk about these six club questions, meaning they're clubbed over the head with these six passages. That's because these passages are pretty clear about human sexuality. And so we have to push back and fight and dissect those passages to say they don't mean what they mean. That's your only objective. Either either that or you have to say the Bible's wrong or untrue or I don't believe it. Before I go further, I want to put in our show notes uh, Christopher Yuan's most recent book called Holy Sexuality in the Gospel. Holy, H-O-L-Y, Holy Sexuality in the Gospel, Sex, Desire, and Relationship shaped by God's grand story. Christopher Yuan. I cannot recommend that book enough. And we've got an interview with him on that specific book, and Casey can link that also in the yes. show notes. So you can get a primer of that, yeah. Of so that book. it's very important to understand this. So if you're coming from an LGBTQAI plus perspective, you're going to go after these verses and try to dismantle them. Now, the word that this article refers to is an unusual word. There are times in the New Testament where the authors coin a word. For example, Paul will make words in the one of my favorite is soon ergon, co-worker. And he uses this word in Romans chapter 16 when he's talking about all the fellow workers who helped him in establishing the church in Rome. That word's not in the quote dictionary close quote as if there was one. So when words are coined or created or two words put together, that doesn't mean they were never there. And you must understand the translations from Hebrew, uh, to, to the Hebrew, Greek, primarily those three. There is some Aramaic in our Old Testament. But point being, the idea of word-for-word translation is a bit of a, it can't happen. There's syntax, there's idioms, there's expressions, there's nuances, and as I always say, you must look at how a word is used to determine meaning. Now, the word that's in this article is a bit unusual. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and in 1 Timothy 1, we find the word uh, which basically means man, and it's a Greek word koite, and that sounds like a man in his bed or a man who beds other men is the way the word's used. In Leviticus 18 and verse 20, 
that was the referent Paul is using. So when he reads Leviticus 18 and 20, that's what he's referring to. You don't have to know, uh, you know Greek and Hebrew to read this. You can just look online at a transliteration, and you can pull up any of your U-verse or uh, the Bible hub, and you can scan down these words, compare them if you want to go that deep. But Paul is intentionally using the Torah to coin this new word. So he has in mind Old Testament theology. And I think Paul is, I mean, he's, he's an Old Testament scholar. So this would make perfect sense the way he's using it. So I don't want to get too far down the weeds on this. I want to say at the high level, whenever you read an LGBTQAI plus changing the terminology of the Bible to accommodate their view or attacking history to accommodate their view, I'm going to lean on the authority of Scripture. I'm going to lean on the common way the word is used, not the way people who have a, it's not a hidden agenda, it's a plain, clear agenda to change the Bible's meaning, to vilify it, to say it was antiquated, it doesn't apply today, to uh, absolve themselves of living contrary to what Scripture says. And I think for me, I mean, it's so easy to get like lost in the weeds with all of this stuff. And just going back big picture, what was God's design and original plan? Like when we read in Genesis, what did he make? He made He made light and darkness. He made day and night. He made all of these opposites. He made man and woman. Then he tells them to get married, to leave, cleave, to become one. In Ephesians, Paul gives us a whole thing about what marriage is supposed to look like. And, you know, I mean, it's like over and over and over, it's not fall in love with whoever. And what, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, like there, there was a clear plan and design from the beginning that is maintained throughout the body of scripture. And one of the things Christopher and I have talked about, as well as Rosario Butterfield and I've talked about, your identity can't be in your choice of sexual preference or recreating your gender. That, that becomes ludicrous carried to its logical conclusion. I heard a, a gentleman the other day making the illustration, well, I, I want to be black. I want to be seven foot four. I want to be, I'm 64. I want to be 34. So where do you draw the line with, well, I feel like a 34 year old man, even though I'm 64. Well, sorry, you're 64. So the culture has hijacked this. We're on our heels. We're afraid of talking about these things. And I think you don't have to pick a fight. As I said in the earlier question, you don't have to be angry at people, but you do need a courage to say, that's not what God intended. Male and female, he created them. Male and female, he made them image bearers of Christ. So the argument is not with me or a word. The argument is with God's design. And that's why I so appreciate what Christopher Yuan is doing in his writings. Okay, well, this is perhaps the shortest episode you and I have ever done. But folks have said they want shorter episodes if you filled out our survey. So we gave it to you. You can let us know if this is now too short. <laughs> so you'll hear from the equal amount of people That's that it right. was too short. Too short. Yeah, Give yeah, us yeah. more. But we'll always be back next Tuesday. And thanks for writing in. Question at michaelincontext.com. Did you know that In Context is fully funded by our listeners like you? If you are a regular listener, would you consider giving a one-time or perhaps monthly donation? You can give at michaelincontext.com. In Context is produced by Hannah Seymour, mixed and mastered by Sonamorphic, and music composed by Tycho and Blair Masters.